0: Hey, welcome to the Risen Nation Church podcast. We're so happy you've joined us. We at Risen Nation Church believe that we are called to prepare a place for God's presence and God's people. If you'd like more information on how to connect or volunteer or even to partner with us in this season, you can find out more information at risennation.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. Can you guys open with the John? The Lord is going to do something tonight in the realm of the prophetic. I, um, I actually feel a heavy calling on this house and on my life um, to unlock something in the prophetic. Yeah. Not necessarily as a prophet myself, but there's something apostolic on this house that's going to rip open something for the prophets. And I've been hearing like for two days now. It's time to release the prophets. It's gonna be good, it's gonna be good. John 1, 16, I wanna start here because this is all gonna begin with the right perspective of God. And when we have the right perspective of God, we'll have the right perspective of ourselves. When we see ourselves correctly, we see the imputed righteousness of God, which is gonna bring purity back into the mouth of the prophets again, okay? So this is John 1, verse 16, and it says... And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. That, that didn't make sense to me, because I thought, but what about Moses? What about all these people? But this is saying, no one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son, whom in his bosom, Of who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. That word declared means he has explained him. He has unfolded him. So I want you to think about this with me. Like you read about Moses who went in a mountain for 40 days, 40 nights, wrapped in glory, came down, his face is shining, and all he saw was the backside. When he said, Show me your glory, all that he saw was the backside. So Moses, in writing the law, you get to Isaiah, you get to Ezekiel, you read about these prophets. No man has seen God at any time except for the son. We're gonna get right perspective of the father tonight. So, so Moses, as he's writing the Torah, as he's writing it all down, no man hath seen him. Moses did not know the fullness of God when he wrote the law. Just, I know that that like, offends people that love religion, but Moses only had half of a perspective because no man has seen God at any time. So Jesus comes and it says, Jesus showed up to explain him. It says in John 14, eight through nine, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father. And it is sufficient for us, Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So what was he like? What was Jesus like? You you see this man who caught a woman in adultery and he would say things like this. Moses says, he never said, my father said, just get into this thought for a second. Moses says, but I say. He comes and he shows up and he says, listen, it's, you've only seen the back. That's why Moses had to experience him on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he didn't see the glory he desired to see until he was on that mountain. When he saw the sun's face light up and his clothes turned brighter than the sun, Moses now saw what he's always been longing to see, the fullness of God in bodily form. So no man hath seen God at any time, but Jesus shows up and Jesus unfolds and explains him. So any revelation of God that doesn't come through Jesus is not a full revelation of him. If you read Joshua and you think you can start explaining Jesus, you cannot. If you read The law, and you know, like right now, my wife and I, man, we're going through it all. We're going through Leviticus, all the fun books, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. You know, like David would say, oh, I love your law. Have you ever really gotten into the law? I mean, it gets weird, man. Like animals and weird intimacy with animals. It's all kinds of crazy in there. You probably should read your Bible. None of you know what I'm talking about. There's some... There's some wild stuff in here. And, and it's almost like you read the Old Testament and you're so confused because it seems so contradicting to who Jesus was, but you have to understand something about God. Is that everything in the Old Testament, add, when you add to that, but Jesus, it all makes sense. Right, so you have, you have like, wipe out entire armies, But if you follow the Old Testament, everything God does is to protect the seed. Like wipe out entire generations and you're like, man, this is like a little bit brutal. But if you follow the seed, every single person that was removed made way for the Lamb of God. And it's like God said, wait till they see who I really am. Wait till they really see my mercy in a person. And when they see him, they're gonna say, no, this is too good. No, this doesn't make sense. What are you talking about you don't condemn her? What are you talking about a man hanging on a tree saying, just don't forget about me. He says, I'll see you in paradise. And we have this perspective of God, like you know, God causes cancer and God causes all these things. And I understand that God is sovereign, but he's also incredibly good. And he's incredibly kind And any perspective of God that is not developed through the life of Jesus is not the full picture of God. Right, so maybe you lost a loved one and you're upset at God. If you read about Jesus and Jesus is raising the dead, then God must not come and kill your parents. A a kingdom divided against itself can't stand. So when Jesus is healing the sick, Why would he be healing the sick if his father made them sick? He comes and he explains him. I'm going to say it until you get it because some of you don't get it. No man has seen God at any time. All the prophets, all of them. It's like, you know, prophecy. It's like a dim, looking through a dim mirror. And then Jesus shows up, he shatters the mirror, and he's like, I am the exact imprint of his person. I am the express image. I am the bright in the morning star. I'm the one that everything came out of, and I'm here, and here's what my whole message is. I love you. That's phenomenal. And all of a sudden, you get this right perspective of God, because listen, if the enemy can distort your perspective of him, he can rip your identity from you. And if he can just get you agitated at God, If he can just, you know, it's like a snake comes and bites you and he's in, you know, he's in grass and a snake comes and bites you in the hill and we point at heaven wondering, Lord, how could you let all this happen to me? Man, we've missed it. He is nothing other than good. He can remove your identity by affecting your perspective and he can take away destiny. And listen, the world is tirelessly attacking our identity. You know, think about everything that's, man, like, I can't believe the amount of laws about gender and teaching our children. You can pick and choose. The the enemy is strategic in trying to rip image and likeness away. And the way that they attack it is they attack the innocent. Let's teach our kids in third grade that they can pick if they want to be a prince or a princess. I will burn that school. (laughs) sorry. This is not political. This is the Bible. Get over your politics and let's get back to the Bible because the church is offended at Donald Trump. Still, he's not even in the office anymore. He was a mean guy. What are we doing? What are we arguing about? What are we talking about here? And while we were blinded by offense, the devil is creeping in and trying to distort identity. He's trying to take away image and likeness, trying to to get believers through a spirit of offense to vote for something against the Bible. And so we're blinded, and the enemy has this, this purpose in his heart to distort the perspective of God so he can rip away identity from the children of God. Listen, the right perspective of God brings rest. And we've been talking about rest here a lot, but I have to make sure we're clear on this. Rest is not intended to make you comfortable. Like when we talk about rest, it's not about taking naps. Rest is not intended, no matter how bad you want it, Gabriel, rest (laughs) is not intended to make you comfortable. Rest is intended to make you confident. And I have news for you, the rapture is not your confidence and hope. Christ in you is the hope of glory. That word hope in Greek is confident expectation. Christ in me, in me is the expectation and the confidence of my life. Not him rescuing me out of here, but him getting in here so he can get out there. Come on, he promises us, I'm gonna fill the earth with my glory. As the waters cover the sea, so will my glory fill the earth. We have to change our perspective. We've got to change what we're confident in. I heard, a, I heard this, this story. I don't know if it's true, but it's a good story, and I'm going to share it with you. But listen, this, if the enemy... If the enemy... I heard you. If the enemy can distort our identity... He takes away our authority. And so what we do, listen, this is what we do in church. We come and we answer an altar call, right? We pray a prayer. We confess our sins. We do all of the right stuff. We give our lives to Jesus and we proclaim being a believer and we are excited about his grace even though the preacher just talked about hell. And and we are giving our lives to Jesus left and right. But what I see more than anything in the body of Christ is praying a prayer and then three days later we're yoked to bondage again, right? Or we have, you know, the... The message today out there, listen, there's a move of mercy and grace that's about to hit the church that is the actual empowerment of holiness. Okay, I'm going somewhere, right? Mercy saved us, grace empowers us to live like him, right? But what we do is, is we get back into the law because we have the wrong perspective of God. We go back to the old thing because we we have that perspective of God, but when you see through the lens of the Lamb of God, you can't find anything but grace, right? So we become as believers yoked to bondage again. So I heard this. I heard this story, and you know there was a kid named Johnny and a girl named Susie, and they were brother and sister, and they like going to grandma's house, All right, So they would go to grandma's house, and and uh, you know grandma had this favorite duck, and she would feed the duck, she would take care of the duck, she woke up to the duck, she loved this duck. And so Johnny and Susie, they, they would come over and they would play, so they came over one, one day for and they were gonna stay for a whole week and you know, they went outside to play and Johnny saw the duck and Johnny had a slingshot, right? And he was a terrible shot, like he would shoot it and it'd go far left or far right, there was no way he'd ever hit anything, right? So Susie's off playing by herself, but Johnny, right, Johnny aims at this duck with a rock and hits that thing right in the head, kills the duck right, like what kind of story is this, right, but he didn't realize that Susie saw him kill grandma's favorite duck, so that night at dinner, they're having dinner that night, and, and, uh, you know, they finish up, and grandma looks at the two of them, and she says, so which one of you is cleaning dishes tonight, Susie looks at Johnny and says, "Ah, I think Johnny's cleaning dishes tonight, she said, remember the duck, don't forget about the duck, Johnny says, yep, yep, I'll, I will gladly wash dishes tonight. Trying to hide it from grandma. So the next day comes and the next day comes and the next day comes and they finish dinner and grandma said, so who's washing dishes tonight? And Susie looks at Johnny and says, remember the duck? Rem- don't forget about the duck. I'll wash dishes tonight. So it gets to this point, listen, where Johnny just can't take it anymore. And he's like, I, I'm, I'm, I can't take it anymore. I'm tired of washing dishes. I've just gotta go confess to grandma. So he goes up to his grandma he says, hey, Grandma, I gotta, I gotta confess something to you. He said, I was playing with my slingshot outside and I killed your favorite duck. She said, my favorite duck? He said, your favorite duck. She said, oh, Johnny, I was watching through the window. I saw it when you did it and I've already forgiven you. Listen, I've already forgiven you. I just wanted to see how long you were gonna stay in bondage to Susie. That's a good story. I don't know if it's true, but it's a good story heard it somewhere i thought that's phenomenal because we become yoked to bondage like the father's like i sent my son 2000 years ago and he hung on a tree and listen he doesn't start something and then finishes it he he completes your destiny chosen in him before the foundation of the world and then says begin and when you sin he doesn't go no way When you fall short, he doesn't go, are you kidding me? Like what kind of God, what kind of merciful God do we serve that before I ever did it, he said, forgiven? Right? And so we, 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 we go through life and, and we become a believer, but we can't get that old pattern of thinking out of our mind of the law The law, the good and the bad. Listen, the world can teach you good and bad, but the world cannot offer you a tree of life. And the longer we make this about behavior, the longer we stay from glory. Because behavior transformation, listen, modification is not transformation. And we're all for moral character, be good. All right, but you have to realize you have nothing good within you without a good father filling you through his son. And so before you were ever born, he said, forgiven. And if the enemy can get you to think that he's mad at you and shift your perspective, you will be yoked to bondage again for the rest of your life. Listen, go to Galatians 4 really, really quick. Galatians 4. It says this, verse 6, Galatians 4, verse 6. And because... You are sons. God has sent forth his spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Like you are God's heir. Verse nine, I'm just gonna jump around. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by, By God, (laughs) how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe the days and the months and the seasons and the years. I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. And then jumping to verse 19, my little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Verse 28 Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Stand fast, therefore, chapter five, verse one, in the liberty by which Christ has made you free. The the original says, stand up in your liberty. Man, I heard it really, I was reading this and I heard the Lord's like passionate cry say, stand up in your liberty. Man, I feel the Lord on that. Come on, stand Up in your liberty. For Christ has made you free and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Stop believing the accusing voice that has been silenced for 2,000 years. The only way he has voice is if you give it to him. I love the Passion translation of Romans 8. It says, There remains no accusing voice. The case is closed, finished, phenomenal. The case is closed and there remains no accusing voice. I've taught this here, but there's some new people. But you know, if I have a four-year-old son, if he went to school and every day a teacher just told him how horrible he was and he's never gonna amount to anything and, and he's worthless, 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 what would I do as a father when I found out? Although I'm short, I'm feisty and don't mess with my kids. I would go to the school, I would silence the voice of the accuser, like forever. And then I would go to my son, and I would spend eternity telling him how worth it he is. He has silenced the voice of the accuser, but this is what we do as believers. We're so in love with the law still compared to love. We're so in love with that bondage thing that has run our whole lives that I tell my son, listen, you don't have to go back there again. We'll homeschool you. Come on, in my father's house, there is many mansions. Let's, let's get you homeschooled. Let's get you back into the house and I'll teach you all things. Come on, what do you think the Holy Spirit is? Let's be homeschooled. Come into my house and he says, no, I just wanna go, I miss my teacher. What does it do to the father when we have been freed from sin and death? but we're still yoked to the bondage of it. What does it do to the Father when we get behind pulpits and we magnify sin over and over and over again like an ex-girlfriend that you can't get away from? Come on, stand up in your liberty. That sin you're dealing with is alive from the pit of hell, and the more you believe you're a sinner, the more you will be entangled to the sin. But God came, and through Jesus, he unfolded the revelation. It's like he's untangling all of the lies of your life and saying you don't have to be entangled to sin. You don't have to be in bondage to pornography. You don't have to be in bondage to your computer screen. You don't have to be in bondage to your Instagram and your Facebook and what people think of you. You don't have to be in bondage to your anxiety and your fear. All you have to do is come to me and when you see how incredibly phenomenally good I am, phenomenally, is that a word? Yeah, praise God how phenomenal I am, it's gonna unravel you with my love. I am gonna untangle you with my goodness. Stand up in your liberty. Come on, if you knew what actually belonged to you, you would never be worried. I am preaching preach to myself. If you knew, William, what belonged to you, you would never be worried ever again. Like my dad one time, I heard him share this example. He said, you know, if, if my son, till today, I don't live in his house, praise God, I have my own home and family. And, and if, if I went to his house till today, right? And let's, even, let's say like when I was you know, a teenager and I was living there and I came home and I went in front of his fridge and I got on my knees and I started begging for food in my father's house, what would my dad say to me? First of all, he would be perplexed and then he'd hit me. And for those of you that know my dad, you know this to be true. And he would say, son, what are you saying? What are you asking me for? Come on, like there's a release. God wants to release a fresh perspective of his person so that we can walk in the authority and the power that God has reserved for the sons of God that creation's gone tiptoe, it says. Is this gonna be the generation that's actually gonna believe what he says? Do you know it takes more humility to believe you're a son than it takes false humility to believe you're a sinner? And so if I went to my dad and I said, listen, I'll give you like church. We, and we have church and we, we, today we have Sunday church and 20 bucks. And we think that that's Christianity. It's not. If I went to my dad and I got on my knees in front of the fridge and I said, listen, I'll give you $10, just one glass of milk, please, as a son, he would say, son, Have you forgotten who you are? Stand up, get off your knees, stand up in your liberty. What is mine is yours. Take anything you want. And then the next time you open it, it'll be replenished. I never was concerned if toilet paper was gonna be there when I was younger. Now, with COVID-19, Lord Jesus, can I have that water? I don't understand the toilet paper thing, but whatever. It was faithful. And if I wasn't there, I'd go, mom. She'd throw it in. (laughs) Yeah. But man, like, do you know how much we go to God with our needs? I remember... My dad said, you know, it doesn't... It Like, if I went to my dad and I'm like, I just need toilet paper, please. He would think something's wrong with me. But you know what parents love? And I'm learning this now is they love a Christmas list. Well, some parents. I, I love blessing my kids with what they have in their heart's desire. The Bible says he promises us, I will supply all your needs. I'm gonna supply all of it. Right, so... So we come to God for needs and he's saying, but this is already supplied. Tell me what you want. We don't know that level of sonship because we think it's humble to be nothing. But to say I'm nothing is like spitting in the face of Jesus who died because he thought you were everything to him. Come on, we're gonna call this word a tune-up. We need a move of God's mercy in God's grace. I I've I've been getting this picture, you know, we're we're going through a lot of transition as a church and you know, I I saw this picture of like a flat ground. And I heard somebody talking about how mercy is not one dimensional, but it's three. Right? So I want you to consider this. If if I took an apple and I put it in the middle of let's say none of the pews were in here and I I put the apple or this water bottle in the middle of the floor and I went up 1,000 feet. I can't really tell the water bottle from the floor. I might see it a little bit, but I won't see it in three dimensions. I'll only see it in one, right? So what we do oftentimes, like when we're hurt or we're offended or we're upset at people, is we, we pull ourselves away. We call it healthy boundaries, right? We, we, we keep people far from us. Thank God Jesus doesn't do that to us. He didn't even do that to Judas. He still kept him close. He still washed his feet. But this is the way that God's mercy worked, right? So, you know, I've been, I've been going through things and working through things in my own life. And the Lord said, you're seeing everything just, just one-dimensional. So you can't have the full revelation. Right, so this is the mercy of God. The mercy of God doesn't see one-dimensional. If you read the Old Testament, it's one dimensional. See, the Old Testament says that the law was a tutor. It's holy and it was a tutor to lead us to one place that you need him, you need a savior. So what he did is he said, I'm gonna give you 613 laws and 10 commandments and there ain't no way you're gonna gonna be able to follow this. Like you read it and you think, how did they even remember all of this? all of the sacrifices and offerings and drink, I mean, what on earth? He knew fully well, there ain't no way. Right, but here's what Jesus does. Jesus came down. And it's like he got a revelation of you, three dimension, so he can sympathize with you, so we could have a revelation of him. Jesus came down, and now we have a high priest who can sympathize with us because he has the actual revelation of us. But then he says, you don't have to stay there because I became sin. He who knew no sin, come on, Jesus, became sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God in Christ. He came down, saw your full person, all of your your temptations. He was tempted with all of it. And now we can enter into the throne room boldly, the throne of grace, Are you guys with me? Okay, 1 Corinthians, let's go there really quick. 1 Corinthians 27. And the Lord is gonna release something at the end of this, but I'm getting to the prophet's part. You're thinking this is not about the prophetic. I promise it is. 1 Corinthians 1, we'll start in verse 27. because there's three things that have to change if we're gonna see the power of God released the way that we need to see it. There's three things. Our perspective of God, our perspective of ourselves, and how we view righteousness. You wanna know like something, and, and it may not make sense to you until the end, but you wanna know what muzzles, prophets more than anything, the wrong teaching of righteousness. may not make sense to you yet, but we have taught righteousness incorrectly and it's removed power from the church. 1 Corinthians 1, 27 says this, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are deprived, God has chosen, or despised, sorry. God has chosen and the things which are not, to bring nothing to the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Listen to this, verse 30. But of him you are in Christ Jesus who became. Everyone say became. became. Underline it in your Bible. Who became for us? Who became for us wisdom? From God, and who became for us righteousness. He became for us righteousness. Close your eyes and listen. He became for you righteousness. He became for you righteousness. You have no righteousness of yourself and your behavior is not the barometer of what makes you right. People hear me talk like that and they think, man, I'm coming against moral character. I'm all for good moral character, but it has nothing to do with righteousness. We have to see this because we try to be good, not realizing that when he who's good fills you, you become as good as he is. Yeah. And when you realize that he loves me as much as he loves Jesus, you'll understand holiness. Yeah. He became for us wisdom. He became for us righteousness and he imputed it onto men. This is the actual definition of righteousness. This is the the thayer definition and I'm just warning you it's wrong. This is the actual definition of righteousness. The doctrine concerning the way in which man may attain a state approved by God. Incorrect. Okay, the doctrine concerning the way in which man might attain like I can I can obtain this. No, you cannot. The doctrine concerning the way in which man may attain a state approved by God. There's nothing you can do for God to go, they're approved now. Come on. He came while you were dead in sin. Christ showed up. This is what, listen, the law in the old covenant is man trying to please God through man's strength. I need you to hear it. The law in the old covenant is man trying to please God through man's strength. But the new covenant is God became a man. So the approval of man is no longer based on man, but on God. So listen, the definition without Western theology attached to this should be The doctrine concerning the way in which God justified and approved man by himself becoming a man. I'm going to read it again. The doctrine concerning the way. Who is the way? It is Him. The doctrine concerning the way in which God justified, just as if it never happened. Just as if you never ate from the tree, just as if you never watched pornography, just as if you never did drugs, just as if you never drank alcohol and did all of the things that the world led you to do. He came which God justified and approved you by he himself becoming like you. In other words, man cannot obtain righteousness unless a righteous God enters that man. He is our righteousness. Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 15, 34. Awake to righteousness. It's it's appalling how much we have tried to get people to clothe themselves with rightness and you cannot do it. You are dead and you have to awaken to righteousness. There is no weird in-between place. That weird in-between place is called being entangled again to bondage. You're either in sin or you're in his love. There's no place in between. Awake to righteousness, do not sin. It's that simple. Romans 5:17 for if by one man's offense death reigned through one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of of righteousness, it's not a duty. Righteousness is not a duty or an act, it is a gift you open and you just put it on. It's called put on Christ. Put on the mind of Christ. And righteousness, the gift of righteousness will reign in your life through the one, Christ Jesus. Listen, the difference between good works, righteous works and dead works. Dead works is this, Dead works is I'm working to obtain something. Dead works is like the wages of sin is death, right? You worked and you worked and you worked and you received a paycheck called death. Dead works is I'm working to receive pay. I need pay. Good works, righteous works is different. It's this, I received an inheritance I didn't work for the inheritance, but I received an inheritance and good works is going, now I'm looking to where I can invest it. You see, this is evangelism. This is go and tell all nations, go and disciple all nations. We are simply investing what was his has now become ours. Come on, creation is in great expectation for the sons, not not the confused sons, not the sinners, not the sinners saved by grace. No, he is waiting. Creation is on tiptoe with a groan in their heart to see if a sonship groan will be in response. I wanna, can I have a, Well, let's just get the whole band up here. I know it's early, but don't be confused. We got a little bit longer. You were like, is he, is he closing? Probably not. Probably not. Almost done, potentially. Here's where, the, here's where the Lord's been speaking to me about the prophetic. There is something pure coming back into the mouth of the prophets again. There's something pure coming back at, into the hands of the apostles again. You know that the only, only office we really honor in the American church is the evangelist, and somewhat the pastor. Because we don't understand the apostolic. The prophets are swirly. They freak us out. Gabriel and Chip, we don't know what to do with them. Teachers, they're boring. This is how we think. There's no glory. We have, we have to redefine glory, my friend. We want to be shaking, screaming, and crying, and that sometimes happens in the glory meetings with the evangelists coming in town. He's shifting everything. And we're afraid to say things like apostle because, just, bro, just call yourself a pastor. That's not biblical. We're afraid to call ourselves prophet or, or identify the office of somebody. The, the reason that these gifts are being squandered is because we aren't honoring them. We're not honoring the office of a teacher. And what it does is it oppresses the teacher. And so everyone just wants to be an evangelist because that's where the crowds come. The Lord is shifting something and he's shifting it in our understanding of who he is so we can find out who we are. And when we find that out, see the enemy is determined to keep you from finding out who you really are. Because if he can keep you from finding out who you really are, he'll keep you from the authority the world desires To answer that cry of creation that is going to be freed, it says, in the liberty of the sons. Are you with me? So listen to this. Moses, in Numbers 20, he has a staff. And God says, I want you, Moses, to speak to the rock. This is the second time that they've needed water to come out of a rock. Who's the rock? Come on. What does he say? Come to me and out of your belly will flow rivers. Same. It's the same thing. Type and shadow of Christ. So here's what, here's what he asks him. He says in Numbers 20, I want you to speak to the rock, Moses, and Moses doesn't listen. Moses had this staff in his hand that he trusted. I mean, if I put something in water and it turned to blood and it ceased, I would, I would hold on to that thing with all my heart. But he didn't listen. And he, and he struck the rock twice and he was angry with the people. He struck the rock twice and he did not speak to it if you follow the scriptures, the reason Moses didn't enter the promised land is because he didn't obey God when God said, I want you to speak to it. But he hid it instead with what he had trusted in more than what he needed to trust in. And this is the response of the Lord when he didn't listen. He said, Moses, because you didn't hallow me, this is crazy. Hollow means Moses, because you didn't sanctify me before the people. Think about it. Moses, because you didn't purify me in front of them, what does he consider to be what purifies him before people? What makes him holy before people? Him coming out of your mouth. Why did Jesus ascend to heaven? Why did he go? Listen, this is a decision that God made that you were not part of the meeting of. But if he wanted to rule and reign with a sword in a castle, he has the power to do that. If there was, if, if we wanted, if he wanted to have a castle in the sky that everyone bows to and worships of this tyrant God who controls us with, with fear and trembling, we teach this stuff in church. But you have to understand just the fact that he said, it's good for you that I go. And it's like this groaning in the father to say, I'm going to be a God that they can't see, but they have to believe. And when they pick me, God goes, oh my gosh, they picked me. They chose me. His humility, his desire for love. What really messes with religion is that he loves your feet more than you love his. You can be the, the most bridal lover you've ever seen in the entire earth, and you can sound just like Eric Gilmore. Eric Gilmore begins to talk. My body melts. No matter how much of a lover you become, no matter how much of a Shulamite revelation that you adopt, you will never compare to the beloved's love for you. No matter how much you muster up in pursuit of God. You will never overcome his pursuit of you. He adores your feet way more than you like his. And he says, what makes me holy before the world, how I want to be exposed to the world is I want to come out of your mouth, Moses. he he didn't say listen go put the bones together he said speak to the dry bones we've lost the power that's in the tongue life and death and everybody says God said no he didn't just everything is God everything is God there's coming a purity to the prophets that we are going to learn how to guard our words because they have life and death in them And the more we understand who we are in Christ, the more we understand who he is to us, in us, and through us, the more we are going to guard what comes out of us. And we just say all kinds of stuff. God said, God said, no, he did not. Everyone's got a word. Everybody's got a, Paul said, everybody got a word when you come together. Man, when God's talking, it breaks the yoke of bondage. Anointing. Listen, you can go up there and shout and scream and do all of your stuff. And it can give you chills, tears, and make you fall out. But the real anointing is not just about chills, tears, and falling out. The real anointing breaks the yoke of slavery over your life. The real anointing causes devils to scatter and flee when you walk into a room. And the problem is, is that we are so interested and confused with our motive that we walk into a room more interested in our motive than what God's motive is through you. You don't wanna know the worst season of my life, the worst season of my life is I started getting this idea that I could be righteous. I love how much people don't like this. You keep staying at the law on the mountain up there where the law was, I'm gonna go to the Mount of Transfiguration where I see the light shining out of the face of Jesus. And when they were gonna make tents to cover themselves, he said, don't be afraid. The worst season of my life was when I thought that I could be good within myself. And I would go and pray for people and I'd hear the accuser say this, why are you praying for them? You just wanna, all you want is a healing to share a test. I mean, I heard accusing voices like that. do you just want this person to fall out accusing voices like that? And so what I did because I wanted to be righteous because I had the wrong teaching of righteousness is I stopped stepping out. Because I had the wrong teaching of righteousness, I, I stopped believing that I was pure and that I had to, man, if I fasted for 16 days... A week and and I prayed for eight hours a day that maybe I would somehow burn and, and the Lord would fall and anoint me. Listen, you are not part of the equation. Get over yourself. <sighs> like you're not good or cool. You are a vessel, a cup with really good water in it. Take the bottom of the cup out, be a vessel so you can become a river. A clear pure cup that you can't really tell if it's a cup or what all you see is the water worst season of my life all the power left I I didn't see anybody healed I didn't see anybody saved I didn't get any words every word of knowledge was incorrect because I was trying to do something to get the approval of God that God's like how long are you going to stay in bondage to Susie I have forgiven you, I've been here for you, and you're, you're still trying to please me. Jesus comes up out of the water, he hadn't worked one miracle yet, and the Father says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. He hadn't done anything for God yet. So what we do is, is we get saved and we get into this mindset of, I gotta see the billion soul harvest, and I'm all about the billion soul harvest, but he's not gonna count your numbers on that day. I don't see that in scripture, he's not gonna tally. He's not going to go up there and say, you only got, come on, man, you got 100 people saved. What are you doing? Look at Reinhard Bonnke. You're not as good as him. Man, you might spend your whole life, and you might might love Jesus and work at a job, and you might have built up courage for six years to talk to one person that you knew was on drugs, and that person got saved. Heaven still rejoices over just one, just one. And so rest is not intended to make you comfortable. I'm not gonna work anymore, but rest gives you the good works. Rest makes you confident in who God is. And so what God is saying is, as I'm bringing right, true righteousness back. And so I remember I went to Dan Moeller one time and I said, listen, bro. I said, I, like, I'm listening to what you're saying about righteousness. I'm, I'm trying to do the right things, but there's no more power. I was frustrated. I was in North Carolina. I remember he just said, oh, buddy. But no, no, buddy, me. I need help. And I heard the Lord say, before he could say anything, I heard the Lord say, You walk into rooms more consumed with your motive than you do with me, and I won't share my glory with you. I need you to die. I need to crucify you, and I need you to awaken to righteousness. And then when I stopped caring about, like, see, what it is is it's sin consciousness. We need, you know, to, sin consciousness means you're alive to sin. What does it mean to be unconscious to sin? What does it mean to be dead to sin? It means you're not responsive to it. See, he's changing our impulses. Like we, we say things like, you know, man, I get, I get really convicted. My, I get convicted when I'm around stuff. I can't look at stuff and, and uh, you know, like one, one time I, I, was in, uh, I was in Amsterdam with my uncle Benny. We accidentally drove through the red light district, no joke and, you, and you're, you're like, oh God, this is terrible. And, and I would suggest, you probably should cover your eyes in that. I mean, it was, it was horrible. But I was seeing it, but my heart wasn't. It wasn't pulled in that direction toward that thing anymore, because something in me was dead to that. It, it, it wasn't taken like it was. You see, the impulses of flesh are, oh my gosh, sin is knocking at my door. I gotta get the heck out of here. But God is changing our impulses to be more driven by the spirit than the flesh. Here's what that looks like. What if we went from being so convicted of sin all the time to I'm convinced of God's love. So I don't struggle with that anymore. Like God's removed the option from me. So when it comes to knock at my door, I don't hear the knock anymore. I'm unconscious. To sin, Not conscious to it, unconscious to it. Conscious means I'm very aware of all the sin around me. And I walk around in fear trying to please God. Like my son does some bad stuff all the time. And nothing he does gains my, like there's nothing he can do or can't do to, to take away how much I adore this one. And the more he sees that I'm a that he's my son, the more he's gonna live like one. But listen, Moses failed to believe his true identity. And it says the waters, when you were at the waters of Meribah, you know what Meribah is? We talked about this Psalms 81. Meribah is contention, it's strife, it's 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 that friction place. Because in the tension of your life, because at that contention place, that, that strife, where, where that strife was found, because you couldn't be as me in that place, you won't see the promise. You see, Moses, I, I wasn't interested in you doing another act with a stick. I, I wanted you to become like me. Because you becoming like me and as me is what purifies me before them. That's wild. So listen, the Lord, I believe, he's bringing back, listen, he's bringing back the pure prophets. And I've been hearing it. The pure prophets are coming. And here's what they look like. It's not, I'm not talking about like the most well-behaved boys and girls. That, that's, that's good and we can have that. But I'm talking about the prophets that fully know who they are. I believe there's an apostolic grace on this house to release pure prophets into the earth. I'm talking about ones that have a right perspective of God which gives them a right revelation of themselves before God and it's gonna put the power of God back into our mouths again. I want you to stand to your feet. There is coming, listen, there's coming a day. There's coming a day that creation itself in those with clean hands and a pure heart. What those people look like is people that go, I believe you. It's not about what I've done. It's about what you've done and I believe you. And what that day looks like is a people that will speak to creation. And just like the son, right, who spoke to the tree and it withered away and died and they were amazed, Jesus shows up and he says, have the faith of God in the original. He doesn't say have faith in God in the original. He says, have the faith of God. And he introduces us to, listen, you don't have your own righteousness. You don't even have your own faith. Come on. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ in me and this life that I now live. Everyone say now. I live by the faith of the Son of God, the original says. Like God is going, I am gonna be, listen, the most high God went to the lowest low to set the captives free just so he could fill all in all, and you're in between. He wants all in all, and people that believe that, that believe that I have been made right before God, and I don't have the ability to get right without God. We have altar calls, man. People are running to the altar. Get right with God. Get right with God. You can't. You can't build a bridge to get any closer to him. The bridge was in the shape of a cross and you weren't the one hanging on it. Jesus Christ bridged the gap between God and man and invites us to awaken to his righteousness. And I'm telling you, when we begin to see this, life is gonna come back into the mouth Of his people again. Hey, thanks so much for joining today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed that message. If you'd like more information about our church and the events we have going on throughout the week, or even for prayer requests, you can visit us at risennation.org for more information. Grace and peace to you today.